Welcome to the Right Take Podcast, news, ideas, and conversations at the intersection of politics and culture, a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I will be your host, Mark Tapson. Welcome back to the Right Take Podcast. I am your host, Mark Tapson. Thank you for joining me here again. There's a lot of talk about wokeness these days. A whole shelf full of books has been written about the topic by conservative authors. I and my guests talk about it all the time here at the Right Take Podcast. After all, the woke ideology is ubiquitous now throughout the culture and throughout our politics. The right talks about it so much now and uses the term woke so much in such a contemptuous, derogatory fashion that the left has begun distancing itself from the word and pretending that the whole concept is nothing more than a vast right-wing conspiracy. It's similar to the way that the left has begun pretending that critical race theory is nothing more than a vast right-wing conspiracy also, that it's not being taught in schools, which is false. The journalist Christopher Rufo, who has a new book out called America's Cultural Revolution, has been so active in terms of bringing the truth about critical race theory into the light of day that the left even accuses him now of practically inventing the boogeyman of critical race theory himself and revving up a sort of racial hysteria about the threat of CRT, or critical race theory. But wokeness is not a conspiracy theory of the right. It's not a fear-mongering boogeyman. It's a very real and insidious far-left ideological strategy that has come to impact every part of our lives in America. From bathrooms to the boardroom, from sports to education, there is no escaping the woke influence on culture and politics, and people are fed up with it. Normal people who aren't far-left ideologues just want to be able to get on with their lives without having to navigate the minefield of woke insanity. Conservatives recently have begun to push back hard on this anti-science, anti-truth wokeness and its ridiculous claims, and we're beginning to see victories in that culture war, but it's an uphill battle rooting out the infestation from the infrastructure of our lives. And most conservatives, most quote-unquote ordinary people, are not in a position to be activists or to be on the front lines of the culture war. Some of us are, and everyone should do what they can when they can to push back against this toxic ideology. But I'd venture to say that most people would consider it a serious victory just to be able to isolate themselves from the madness on a day-to-day basis. My guest today happens to be the author of a book about practical steps that you can take to both resist and escape the plague of wokeness. As she writes in the book, quote, Rather than continue getting punched in the face by woke sucker punches, this book's intent is to guide like-minded traditional Americans to a separate path that is outside the reach of wokeness. When fighting is futile, we should focus on self-preservation and on cultivating a community so strong woke attacks won't make a dent. For every woke action, we must execute an equal and opposite reaction, and sometimes the most devastating thing you can do to the woke mob is to offer them no reaction at all, unquote. Very interesting take. This book is the playbook for canceling woke culture from your life, so please stay with us because you do not want to miss this discussion. And don't forget to subscribe to The Right Take so you don't miss any of the conversations we are having here. Remember, if you like what you hear, please leave a review really helps. We'll be right back now with my guest after this guitar and drum heavy musical interlude. Don't touch that dial.
My guest today at the intersection of politics and culture is Teresa Mull, author of the new book, Woke Proof Your Life. She began her career in conservative journalism, interning for Laura Ingram and at the American Spectator magazine in Washington, D.C., before returning to her coal mining hometown in the Allegheny Mountains. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Baltimore Sun, the Miami Herald, lots of other publications. Teresa is currently an assistant editor at The Spectator World. She's a policy advisor for education at the Heartland Institute and also a part-time editor of the Phillipsburg Journal. Teresa Mull, welcome to the Right Take podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Teresa, let me begin with a kind of a personal question. I'm curious about your move from D.C. back to your coal mining hometown. How did you end up in D.C. in the first place? And then what compelled you to move home again? <laughs> that is a good question. Um, yes, I grew up in the in the small town in central Pennsylvania, and uh, I went to college at the University of Dallas in Texas, and I moved back home after graduation for a few months, but I was restless. I wanted to see the big city and go do, quote unquote, important things. And um, I interned for Laura, and I worked down there for a bit, and it was a really good experience, but I am not a city person by any means. I had my fill of the swamp, so to speak. So um, I actually moved out to Idaho then for a couple of years. I decided I wanted to um, live and work out um, somewhere where you didn't have to parallel park. And I uh, moved to a town that has one stoplight um, and it doesn't even, sometimes it's just a blinking yellow. So that was awesome. I went, I went really small and then I kind of got homesick. I, uh, my family is here in central Pennsylvania. We have an ancestral old farmhouse that's been our family for generations. And uh, I just missed, I missed the small town community. And so I moved back here and I thought, well, I'll go back home for a bit and um, then decide where I'm going to go next. And that was like six years ago. So um, I own a house here now and <laughs> I'm here to stay. I love I love the small town living. Yeah. The novelist uh, Thomas Wolfe back in the 1940s wrote a book called You Can't Go Home Again, which is where we get that phrase that suggests that, you know, trying to return to a time and a place that you're nostalgic for is a futile endeavor. But you didn't find that to be true, did you? No, that is false. Um, <laughs> I actually found that I appreciate my town more now. Um, of course, it's it has its problems. We have, um, you know, drug issues and and some poverty things that all small towns in America struggle with. But um, you know, when I was growing up, I kind of thought living in a small town was beneath me, and that's what attracted me to DC and and kind of the lights and the brightness and the hustle and bustle of feeling important in a city. But having experienced that, it kind of, and then coming back, it opened my eyes to all the great things that I didn't appreciate when I was growing up here, the things I took for granted. And um, so I encourage people to give their hometowns or at least a small town a chance. Um, you know, you have to, you have to try, you have to make an effort to get to know your neighbors, to um, become involved in the community. And once you do that, um, there's, there's a lot of richness to be found. I get that completely. I actually, I live in Los Angeles now, and I've lived in California my entire adult life, but I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is not exactly a small town like you described, but it's not exactly Los Angeles either. So I understand that um, that feeling of gradually sort of coming to the realization of what uh, of the value of where you grew up as opposed to uh, big city living and, and the excitement of you know, a more cosmopolitan lifestyle. Uh, Teresa, let's get to your book. As you well know, 
The ideological disease of wokeness has infected pretty much every area of our lives today. Ordinary people, whom you refer to with the acronym NORMALS, and I'll ask you about that in a moment. Ordinary people, I don't like to use the word ordinary, but people who just want to get on with their lives and the pursuit of happiness, they have had enough of wokeness and they want to do something about it. But not everybody's in a position to be an activist of some kind or to put themselves on the front lines of the culture war. But most people do at the very least want to find ways to shield themselves from this insanity. It looks like you've written this book for them. Was there a was there a moment, one moment or a particular epiphany that you had that maybe convinced you that this book was needed by a lot of people? Yeah, there's been a few things, um, which I, I'm glad that you asked me about my coming home to my hometown because um, I found a lot of happiness here and a lot of peace and a lot of purpose by by moving somewhere that I'm surrounded by like-minded people and wokeness hasn't really touched um, this part of the country, it's it's kind of remote and it's separated from the big cities. Um, so we're we're really conservative here and just traditional. You know, we we care about each other. We take care of our neighbors. We still have these little small town traditions. You know, the whole town comes out, and um, it's a pretty sweet way to live. Um, but I realized that you can have that even if you live somewhere like LA. Um, obviously, it's going to be a different different existence, but you can kind of adopt a rural lifestyle or mindset um, and, and kind of do the things that I do in a small town, but um, do it in your own life, regardless of where you live. And I've discovered that um, I'm, we're kind of immune from wokeness here. And I thought, you know, wokeness is driving so many people crazy. We look at our mental health crisis and the more wokeness takes over and the more we have sensationalized news and uh, these instances of fake outrage that everybody's, you know, inventing different pronouns and um, instances of offense and outrage and all these things. It's driving people crazy, almost literally um, with the depression, anxiety rates, suicide, obesity, addiction, all of these terrible things that we see happening with this kind of culture. So I wanted to share what I found um, so that people can adopt um, a more peaceful and purposeful life for themselves. Um, that was part of it. Another thing was I've been telling this story that I bought my favorite shampoo. I went to use it and I looked down and it had a rainbow flag on it. And I was like, goodness gracious, you know, is there nothing I can buy and nothing I can do that doesn't have the poison of wokeness um, infecting it? And I thought, yes, there is. There must be a way. Um, you know, our woke world wasn't, we weren't woke. We weren't crazy. Uh, even like three years ago, we weren't talking about what is a woman? Can men chest feed? Should drag queens be reading to kids? Like this wasn't what happened in the last three years. I, I wanted to diagnose the problem of the disease and then to offer a cure. So those were the kind of a culmination of all those things. I was just tired of living in a miserable world and I don't want other people to. So I thought, uh, you know, what can I offer that will help us get back to a more civil, pleasant way of life? Yes, that would be nice. The subtitle of your book is A Handbook on Escaping Modern Political Madness and Shielding Yourself and Your Family by Living a More Self-Sufficient, Fulfilling Life. And I have to say, I felt a wave of relief roll over me just reading that subtitle. I thought, yes, this is a book so many people need. A guide for navigating your way and your family's way, also through a culture that has lost its damn mind. Um, speaking of which, you have a chapter called What's at Stake? Ignore it and it won't go away, which I think is absolutely right. It's not going away on its own. 
what would you say are a couple of the ways you already kind of implied a couple of them? What are a few of the ways that the woke agenda has or is in the process of fundamentally transforming our culture, as Barack Obama might put it? Yes. Um, well, it's taking language, if this is a, a principle, if you can call it that, of, of radical left-wing ideologues, that they've been doing this forever. Um, you know, first it was affirmative action. Now it's diversity, equity, inclusion. They use these sound sound and feel good um, kind of vague terms and they manipulate them. Um, you know, who can disagree that diversity and equity and inclusion are good things? Of course, those are all positive. Um, same thing with the LGBT movement. It's uh, love is love. Like who can argue with that? Happy rainbow flags. Just let people be happy. Let them love each other. You know, um, of course, black lives matter. Uh, so they they take all this language and they pervert it. And they almost steal the, they're trying to steal the truth from us, you know, redefine things, put a, put a different spin on reality and, um, and, and fundamentally lie to, to people, to children, I find most alarming. Of course you can change your gender. You know, sometimes what you're assigned at birth is not what you really are. Um, and that's really scary that you can convince people of all of these lies, um, and that's the scariest thing about wokeness is how they are taking control of the language. And it's really easy to find yourself. I, I've done this a few times. You know, you you catch yourself using language that that the woke uh, movement, the woke mob <laughs> has. They use it so often and it's so prevalent that you catch yourself saying some of these terms. And um, you have to be really wary of that. We have to guard our senses and be really aware of what we're absorbing, what we're allowing our eyes to see and our ears to hear and, and, and what we're really letting our souls absorb because it is everywhere. And, um, you know, we have to, we have to, of course, push back. And part of that is we're not putting our heads in the sand, but we're building up our own resilience and our own life. That is an alternative to that. Um, we're not hiding from it, but we're building up virtue and truth and wisdom and a beautiful life that's not funding these depraved agendas uh, so that our our life, the non-woke, the normal people <laughs> are going to be stronger than the woke because they are they are still the minority, at least for now. Yes. At the beginning of the book, you mentioned that a lot of people you've spoken to have only a vague understanding of what wokeness really is, but they can't quite pin it down in a definition and maybe don't quite understand what the agenda of wokeness is all about. And that's been my experience, too, when I speak to people or audiences about wokeness. Can you give us the definition that you've come up with uh, for being woke and talk a little bit about what, um, where the woke agenda is taking us in the long run? Sure. Yeah. My uh, definition I provide in the book is that wokeness is a socio-political ideology characterized by the manipulation of noble goals for the control and destruction of society. It's basically left-wing, radical left-wing ideology that's been around for ever, um, just with some updated terminology. Um, it's political correctness on steroids, if you think about it. Um it's just, uh, it, it's a form of evil, plain and simple. And the reason that woke is such a vague term is 
because it's trying to accomplish a lot of different things. I mean, the, the main thing it's trying to accomplish is control and destruction of society. These people are power hungry. They are getting everything they can out of this life because most of them have no faith in God. They, they don't believe in eternity. They're just here for the, the here and now and whatever gain they can get, whatever earthly gain they can get. Um, so they, it, wokeness and all the terms that go with it are purposely vague. They don't want people to be able to define it or recognize it because once you recognize your enemy and what it is you're battling against, then you're better able to defeat it. So the vaguer it is, the better, the more they can draw people in. They use these smoke screens, as we said, you know, DEI, ESG just kind of rolls off the tongue. You don't really think about what they're doing uh, behind the scenes. Um, with all these feel-good um, expressions. But uh, yeah, a lot of people said, I don't really know what wokeness is, but basically I know it when I see it, kind of like the famous <laughs> definition of pornography. Um, one guy one guy told me, I'm not sure what it is, but I know it's bad. So um, that's at least a good thing. If people don't have an exact definition because it is so purposely vague, um, they at least know if, if, if something is woke that it's it's evil and they should stay away. So, so that's good. I mentioned a moment ago about uh, using the word ordinary people. I don't like to use that word ordinary or average, but let's say the silent majority, or I think you call them the canceled majority in your book. You've given them the acronym normal. Tell us who the normals are and what that means. Yeah, uh, those are the non-woke, ordinary, rational, moral American leaders. Um, those are just the people who see reality for what it is. You know, they know that a man cannot give birth. They know that a drag queen reading uh, stories to little kids is not a good thing. Um, you think about the word normal is not something we see, especially in the mainstream media, but really it's, it's not a term that um, I don't know if it's politically incorrect or not woke, but to say something is normal. But um, you think about what normal is if you go to the doctor and you have a normal temperature, what does that mean? That means you're healthy and that's as it should be. So we need to really keep normal society and normal um, human interactions and what is good and healthy in our mind at all time, because the more that wokeness rears its ugly head and the more it takes hold, the, the easier it is to lose sight of what normal is. So I encourage people to buy up all the books they're trying to cancel, to watch the old movies that are now being censored or the, the literature that has had sensitivity readers uh, go through it and, and make it, um, you know, clean or whatever, whatever expression they use. Um, so yeah, just, just don't keep, don't lose your sight of what normal life is and what it has been because it, they're trying to erode it and we can't let them, we can't lose sight of that ourselves. It, it can be difficult at times because there is so much woke madness, but that's uh that's even more reason to surround yourself by virtuous people, people who are normal and people who have not lost sight of that and who are are unlikely to. Um, and then of course to to make your home a refuge from wokeness, a place that you can go and be be normal, be calm, be peaceful, be full of all these beautiful things that that are anti-woke. And by referring to this category of normals, it's not about buying into the left's strategy of pitting us against each other, right? Or exacerbating the kind of us versus them mentality that our culture seems to have degenerated into. It's just about helping us think of ourselves as of ourselves as part of a community 
so that we feel less isolated and targeted by woke culture. Would you agree with that? Precisely, yes. It's about taking a step back away from woke culture and removing the labels, actually living in a world where you don't look at the other person as what is your gender identity? What is your skin color? You know, what sets you apart? It's just, oh, you're an American who loves your country. You want to succeed. You want to live freely and prosper and take care of your family. Well, so do I. Um, We might have uh, political differences, um, but you know, it used to be rude to talk about politics and religion. And now that's pretty much, it seems sometimes all we talk about, um, especially on the mainstream media and, you know, yeah, buying shampoo, it's, it's everywhere you turn. So just getting back to that mentality of seeing a person as a creature made in the image and likeness of God, who is on a journey through life, just like you, and, and probably could, could use your friendship and, and regarding one another with, care and concern and and helping each other thrive rather than looking at each other as what what makes you different what makes me better than you what can I get from you you know it's just this attitude of almost usury which I do um draw a connection to the current woke movement and uh and the sexual revolution which uh really um kind of started the objectification of people and the way we look at one another you know back then um, it became acceptable and fine and uh, no longer really scandalous if you to have children outside of marriage. Um, some homosexual homosexuality started to beca- become more in vogue. Um, and to this day, you know, you look at what wokeness is, it's really objectification of people looking at their exterior or in, in large part, things about people that they can't help rather than their personality, you know, their, their merit, their, their ability to discipline themselves or work hard or to be virtuous people. That's not what the woke people care about. They care about, again, their skin color or their sex or whatever it is. Um, So being normal is about getting back to that attitude of seeing people as human beings worthy of respect and dignity, not just objects that can be used to, for a political agenda. talk about community a lot in the book. Why is community so important? Why shouldn't individuals or individual families, why shouldn't they try to weather the woke storm on their own? Well, you know, I believe that um, God made billions of people for a reason um, so that we can help one another. You know, everybody's different. Everybody has different talents and skills and abilities. And we are put on this earth to interact with one another, to learn from one another, and ultimately, in my belief, to help one another get to heaven. And what we see the woke movement do is to alienate people, to separate them, and to make you think that you're the only one. I think that's part of why wokeness really exploded after the COVID pandemic is because we were locked down. We were literally physically separated from one another. The only way we could really uh, interact with each other was for a long time was through social media, through online forums. And we were stuck at home getting all agitated and and driven to fear, which can kind of have a um, the same effect as hypnosis. And I don't think we've recovered from that. So um, 
that was a perfect storm, a perfect setting by which wokeness could swoop in. People were lonely. They were depressed. They were anxious. And um, I draw a big correlation between how wokeness uh, takes the place of of religion. I don't like to say it is a religion. It's a, a substitute for religion. And we see the more our country loses its faith in God and the values, Judeo-Christian values that built this country and made it the greatest, um, as we lose that and we get farther away from it, the more wokeness rises and the more our misery goes up as well. Um, so, so much of Christianity is community. It's, it's as I said, helping one another uh, live a more virtuous, healthy, happy, holy life. Um, and when wokeness is pitting people against each other, again, objectifying people and, and trying to look at their differences, you know, for all they say about diversity, equity, and inclusion, what that really does is just say, what's different about this person and why does that make this person more worthy of a promotion at work or of a reparation or whatever it is than this other person. So it's not equity. It's not inclusion. It's actually the opposite of that. So um, we need each other and we need to care for one another. We are called to do that. That's our duty. And that is the opposite of what wokeness wants. And, um, we need to we need to be really conscious about rejecting that. We see our misery levels rise as we have stopped volunteering. We stopped having clubs. We stopped all of these great things that brought our communities together and made them strong. Um, and we really need to get back to that. That's been going on long before the current woke movement, but it certainly helped wokeness thrive. Uh, because I think much of wokeness relies on an artificial online world where people can call each other's names and make up this artificial outrage that doesn't exist out there if you're actually interacting with each other. So, And you talk a lot in the book also about literally creating or moving to a community of like-minded people, because as you put it in a chapter title, there's strength in numbers. What are a couple of things people can do to go about fashioning communities like this? Yeah, I think moving somewhere, as I as we talked about in the opening of this a discussion, is that, you know, it's scientifically proven if you're trying to quit smoking and you hang out with people who are not smokers, you're less likely to smoke yourself. Of course, the company you keep um, rubs off on you. If you're trying to eat healthily and you hang out with your super healthy friend, then you're probably going to be healthier that way. And the same thing goes for your virtue. You know, if you're hanging out with people who pray, who spend time outdoor, who who are not um promoting woke division, uh, you're, you're going to have that same sort of lifestyle and you're going to find great fulfillment from that. So um, I do have a list in the book of the most conservative states, the most conservative cities. I understand it's not practical for everybody to pack up and move. You know, people have family obligations, they have jobs. Um, I think for all the, there's some, of course, downsides to remote work, but it has opened up a lot of opportunities for people that they're taking advantage of saying, you know, I'm sick and tired of San Francisco and it's crazy woke mandates and how it's destroying my city. I want to live somewhere that I'm surrounded by a community of people who are fostering the type of life I want for myself and for my family. Um, so I, I have a few examples of people in the book who have done just that. Um, and then if you are unable to do that, I want this book to be a resource for people in all sorts of different situations. You know, if you just, you're unable to pack up and move, um, 
you know, how to find people. I, I would suggest uh, joining a church community if you haven't already. If you're not a part of one, that's a wonderful place to start uh, finding like-minded people with whom you can be friends and you can share um meals together. You can learn from each other. You, your soul really needs that. And, um, we know that from, from this Bible, um, you know, countless passages about the value of community and of, of being a good friend and things like that. And then just scientifically it's proven, you know, the, the loneliness pandemic, they, the epidemic, they say it's, uh, it's almost as bad for you as smoking, um, being lonely. So, um, we, I, I like to provide a lot of examples from, you know, real life, been there, done that people who describe their experiences, also Holy scripture passages, but also, um, science because you get it from all sides proof that this, this woke proof way of life is healthier, more health life giving, um, and makes people happier too. So yeah, finding a community that supports your outlook so that you don't go crazy and you don't feel like you're the only one because, that is far from the truth. There's more, more non-woke normal people out there than there are these radical woke people. But if you just listen to the mainstream media, you wouldn't know that you, you would think you were, you were alone. You have lots of suggestions also about ways that people can change their lives for the better by becoming more self-sufficient. I think it's, uh, Shocking when you think about it, the extent to which people in the modern world, myself included, maybe myself especially, have disconnected themselves from the kind of self-sufficiency that used to be the norm. What can people do to get back to being more self-sufficient? Yeah, that's easy to do. And I am shocked by the number of things that I'm unable to do that, you know, our grandparents' generation wouldn't think twice about doing for themselves, um, you know. Things like gardening, I ha I have been learning how to garden and getting better at that. But um, you know that used to be, as you said, the norm, and that's like that's again something that we we see in Holy Scripture and literature, and also in scientific studies. It's kind of sad to we have to like go to Harvard to get them to tell us like actually going in the garden is really good for you, um, since our ancestors knew that you know for all time. But it's true. Um, the thing about being self sufficient other than all the wonderful advantages it gives to your physical and mental health. Um, doing things with your hands is really good for your brain. Uh, we, I spoke about a garden. I think if everybody in America had a garden, 99% of our problems would go away because people would be out in nature, enjoying the outdoors, getting fresh air, exercise, sunshine, all of these life-giving things, and they wouldn't be absorbing woke nonsense on their phones and their TVs. But um, in addition to all of that, it's also a great way to escape the monetary coercion that these woke corporate companies are always trying to to force upon us, you know, you can look at this list of woke companies and just throw up your hands and think, well, you know, I have to have to go off grid now. I'm going to have to homestead because there's nothing I can buy in America that is not touched by these woke tentacles. That is not true. I also have a list of non-woke normal companies and uh, companies that are just neutral who just stay out of the whole um, culture war together. But um there's plenty of things also, even if you do have a non-woke company that you can and should be doing yourself, I encourage people to to do at least, you know, one self-sufficient thing, you know, maybe every year develop a new self-sufficient uh, skill because, again, it gets you away from the woke madness. It kind of allows your brain to breathe. Um, it's good for you. It makes you more fully human and it's good for your soul 
it gives you a skill that again, you can help your neighbor with, and then maybe he's really good at changing the oil and he can help you do that in your car and you can uh, drop off some canned tomatoes or something like that, you know, just, just a really health giving natural way of living. And again, um, it, it takes you out from under the woke corporation's thumb whenever you're able to do things yourselves. And of course, at the end goal of the woke mob being that they want to control everyone, the more you can do yourself, the less they are able to control you. So uh, that's a really powerful thing to try to do is be more self-sufficient for many reasons. It also just adds a, a layer of richness and value to your life. You know, it's really satisfying and you almost get like a rush of endorphins whenever you finish something that you did yourself and you can look at it with satisfaction and it just gives you a really nice boost. And in this modern age, when you can click twice on your phone and all of your needs for the week end up on the, the doorstep the same day or the next day from Amazon, it's really easy to get lulled into this this mindset of comfort and convenience. And it's nice. And there's certainly a time and a place for that, but there's also really a lot of value to be found in doing stuff for yourself. So I encourage people to, uh, to look for things that they can, the hobbies and skills and talents that they can develop and, and share with others. Uh, you have a chapter also about creating a home that is a refuge from the madness. And that's something my wife and I definitely strive for is to create a better environment and a a sane and faith-filled environment for our children at home. What's something people can do in terms of making a refuge out of their home? I know that homeschooling, for example, um, is something you mentioned, which I'm very big on as my audience um, hears from me very often. Uh, but what's what are some things people can do to make their home more of a refuge? Yeah, I have a lot, as we already spoke about, but big tech um, and and how destructive that can be. So I encourage people to make their homes, um, you know, pretty, pretty tech free if they can, you know, technology is such a part of so many people's lives. I think like 90% of people in America have desk jobs or something like that. And there's TVs everywhere. Every time you go out to eat, whatever, you know, we're always surrounded by all this noise. So try to make your home a quiet place where you can think, where you can, allow your soul to relax and just um, listen to to God speaking to you, to be able to listen to your children if you have, are fortunate enough to have children at home, to, to make it a place for conversation and, and, um, and uh, fulfilling and uh, inspiring discussion is free to take place. You know, if we have so much noise from the outside world coming into our home, there's really not a lot of room and space and sound available for us to nurture the beautiful things. So I encourage people to have um, items around that remind you of truth, beauty, and goodness, whether that be artwork that you've collected, photos of your family. I, uh, I like to have books around that have formed my soul, uh, beautiful books that I can pick up and read a couple of chapters of or a couple pages here and there. And even just seeing them around, you know, kind of fills you with with joy and, and reminds you that uh, that the woke madness, even though it can seem all consuming, it's really not. And you have these these resources there that can can fill you up whenever you feel like you're losing your mind. Um, I encourage people to go antiquing and to collect items that 
are from a pre-woke era. Um, I don't know. I love old advertising, old old art and books and music and things like that. That would probably, the sensitivity readers would deem <laughs> verboten now. But to just to remind yourself every time you come home, that's like, oh yeah, the, the, it was normal a couple of years ago. It's fine. It'll be normal again. You know, we can we can fight this. It's just wokeness is a, is a passing thing. And um you know, insanity will ebb and flow. There's always been evil. There always will be evil, but there are, there's also plenty of of goodness and beauty in the world. So to surround yourself by those sorts of things and to limit the wokeness from coming into your house, make it a refuge and, and also make your space somewhere that your friends and family want to gather. You know, I think that's so important along with the community element we spoke about, you know, host weekly family dinners if you can, you know, invite your friends over for a coffee now and then just, just make it a relaxed place where you can talk about things that are, that have nothing to do with wokeness. Just, you know, just enjoy the beautiful things that God has given us because I think it's really easy to get distracted, even if you're not succumbing to wokeness, but you're fighting it actively, it, it can steal your peace. And that's a way that the woke movement can also kind of defeat us, at least in little ways, is, is by stealing our peace. And we can't let that happen because there's way too much beauty in the world that needs to be enjoyed. We've talked about some of the bigger steps that people can make. Uh, but what are a few or maybe just a couple of simple, practical things that people can begin doing right now to push the wokeness out of their lives? I'm guessing that one would be to disconnect from social media or at least not uh, let yourself obsess over it. Yes, I, I encourage people to be really mindful of how they're managing their screen time. Um, we've all been there. I've done it, too. I've been trying to get better at this, but... Um, I ask people to consider whether their technology is a resource. Are you using it to connect with like-minded community members, to to read uh, scripture passages, to become more informed, to connect with people you love and care about? Or is it a recourse? You know, are you whipping it out uh, because you have five minutes to spend standing in line at the post office and rather than chat with the person next to you, strike up a conversation and have a pleasant conversation with that person or to admire the beautiful woodwork on the old post office building, something like that. Um, you're just mindlessly absorbing TikTok or the CNN headlines or something, you know, that's not edifying towards your brain and to your soul. Um, so we need to really be aware of how much we're using our screens and for what and whether it's good for us. Um, I have a section in there. There's a really nice little book called Digital Minimalism, and it it helps people who are struggling with that because I know a lot of people use their phones more than they'd like, but they they don't really know practical ways to to stop. So he, this author, um, and advises people do a digital declutter, and he has a guideline for that that I go through in the book, which is a really great thing. Um, so yeah, in addition to that, I encourage people also just to get out in nature. I love to take times where I just leave my, my phone at home. Um, sometimes when, when I go to the gym, sometimes I'll just leave it at home because I just, I feel kind of a weight, uh, off my shoulders. You know, I, I almost, um, my phone died yesterday uh, the battery died and I was relieved. I was like, Oh, thank goodness. You know, but this is something we can do ourselves. You know, I, I make the analogy to tennis. Uh, if you, if you know what an unforced error is in tennis, it's where your opponent doesn't do anything to make you mess up. You just mess up on your own. And I talk about unforced stress in the book. We are inviting all these stresses into our lives and we don't have to. Of course, we don't want to be completely ignorant of what's going on in the world, but 
I ask people, you know, to choose maybe one podcast to listen to a day or one hour of news. Um, you know, just that's, that's all you really need. You know, if, if something crazy happened in the world, you're going to know about it. Like, I, I think people, I know people like this who are like, oh, well, I have to be informed. You have to know what's going on. I'm like you do, but not for like 12 hours a day, maybe like one hour, half an hour here and there, you know? <laughs> so those are some things. Um, yeah, definitely spend, spend time in nature. That's so good for us. Um, it's just really simple things. It's nothing really radical or revolutionary. It's just getting back to these, these activities that have sustained us for so long and that we, as our world progresses and gets more and more online and more and more immediate, we're really losing sight of, um, I think it starts with technology. And then once you put your phone down and you realize you have all this free time, I, um, the, I think the, the busyness uh, excuse that so many people make, like, oh, I, I can't, I'm just so busy. Like, how are you busier now when you can get all your stuff from Amazon on one click than we were like 20 years ago whenever you had to drive to the store and do all these things, you know? It's just, it's funny to me. It seems like our world's moving faster and everybody has less free time, which doesn't really make sense. I think people do have free time. They're just using it poorly. So um yeah. So once you have all that free time, you can do a lot, a lot more things, which are those hobbies, those activities outside, those volunteer opportunities, um, those self-sufficient skills that you can develop, educating yourself. You know, if you didn't have the best education, maybe you just went to a an okay um, public school, as so many people in America did. Maybe you can re-educate yourself now, you know, read some great literature. This is actually a case where technology is a positive thing. There's plenty of um, courses online, and I, I have links to them in the book um, where it's classical education for adults. I'm always jealous of people who have kids like yourself who get to homeschool them because you get to like learn all that stuff with them. I'm like, dang, I want to, <laughs> I want to learn all that stuff again, but you can, you know, there's, there's lots of resources for that. So um, yeah, put down the phone and, and explore all of the, the wonderful things that the world has to offer you and bec- you'll become an in- interested person and you'll become an interesting person. Uh, let's talk about faith a little bit. The book's publisher is uh, Sophia Institute Press, which I think is a Catholic publisher, which is not, of course, to say that the book is only for Catholics, far from it. But your faith is obviously an important aspect of this book. Um, this may be a lot to throw at you in one question, but tell us about how faith figures into our conflict with wokeness, and maybe not just at a personal level, but even at the level of our community, and even at a civilizational level, uh, which might sound a little grandiose, but I think, in fact, our civilization is what is really at stake here. But could you talk about um, the importance of faith in this uh, conflict? Certainly. Yeah, the first uh, the first step, I guess, I, I give in um, combating wokeness is seek ye first, as it says in the Bible, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I think the reason as I alluded to earlier, the reason wokeness is rising so rapidly is, or appears to be, um, is because people have lost their faith. You, uh, there's a poll that Gallup does every year, the uh, faith and values poll, I think it's called, and it it essentially asks Americans if they believe in God. And I think it was like 99% in the 1950s and for many, many years until relatively recently, now it's at 81%. And the number of people who identify as Christian was 90% in the 50s, and now it's like 67%. Um, and I don't think that's just 
um, you know, coincidental and unrelated, I think it's very much tied together because when you take God out of the picture and you take these uh, values that we, that have formed our country um, and people don't have a sense of uh, what they're doing on earth, what are they here for, what their morals should be, what is right and wrong, um, if anything goes, and it's a very nihilistic uh, world that we're living in, um, wh- how, you don't have those those guardrails, so to speak, for life. And of course, you can um, mutilate yourself and choose a different gender if you want. Why not? There's there's nothing, if there's nothing good or bad, um, you know, that's as, that's as good as anything. Um, if you don't know, if you don't believe in heaven and hell, if you don't believe that there is a God and, and Christ who set down rules and morality for a reason because he loves us and he wants us to be, um, the best version of ourselves that we can be so that we can be united with him at the end of our life, how are you supposed to know how you're, you're going to behave? You won't. And, and then you flounder and you grasp at anything. You take God out of the picture and people have emptiness. They're purposeless. They're rudderless. And then wokeness swoops in and says, oh, you're empty. You don't, you don't have a sense of purpose. You don't have a telos. Uh, let, us, let us provide you with one. Why don't you look inside and in, into yourself? And why don't you uh, make yourself the center of your universe rather than, than Christianity? And that's very easy to do. Um, we're all um, intrinsically selfish creatures. And the whole point of Christianity, I would say, is to become as unselfish as possible. Um, so yeah, certainly you take God out of the picture. People become extremely selfish. They um, they're grasping for attention. They want to boost their own egos. They're identifying as all sorts of crazy different things to outdo one another to get more attention, to get more job promotions, to get more followers. Uh, whatever likes on TikTok, things like that. You look at Dylan Mulvaney, I think is a perfect example of that. I feel sorry for that person. You know, I doubt that Dylan Mulvaney grew up in a strong Christian household where he was taught about how much God loves him and that God wants him to to behave in a certain way and why that that would be good for him. So if you don't have that and all you have is other people's approval and your own ego to boost, you're going to constantly be chasing after that unattainable happiness, quote unquote, because you can't be happy doing that. So um, I urge people to to seek God. And I think at this point, maybe we will see a dramatic return to God and to church because people are so miserable. And the, and maybe they'll try something that they haven't tried yet. You know, they get desperate enough, which it, it almost sounds silly, but I don't, I don't know. I think we'll get to that point because people were getting to, to that crisis level and, um, and people have nothing to lose, you know, and, and again, science shows and people who, who are believers and, and who are part of a faith community know that, uh, it's uh, it's proven that people who have faith are happier, healthier, and more optimistic. So that's another reason I encourage people who are normal and who are fortunate enough to to have faith and to belong to a church community to lead by example and not to dismiss people who who are maybe quote unquote woke outright, but to look at them and think you know maybe they've never encountered God, maybe they don't have any sense of of purpose in life, and maybe I can help them find that. So. Um, we need to be compassionate whenever we're combating wokeness. Also, there's some people who are just pure evil and use wokeness for their own earthly gain, and they know they've accepted the 
the devil's uh, temptation and they're like, yep, I'm going to get my reward now. I'm rejecting God. Um, but some people are just truly lost and they're searching for something and they're searching for meaning and they need love and they, they need guidance. Absolutely. And well said. I know that you're, uh, you're focused right now on promoting this book, but do you have any thoughts about another book in the works? I do not have any thoughts on any other books in the works now. Do you have any? I loved writing this book. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed talking about it. Obviously, I could talk about it forever. Um, it's just such a big topic. And it, it was, a, there, there's a lot of different aspects that go into it. I I, uh, I would like to do something similar to this, maybe in the future. A lot of the book, I, I interview tons of people who, as I say, are uh, are smarter and, and more virtuous and just just all around really inspiring people. And the more that I, I get to do that and tell other people's stories and, and show, show how you can lead a similar life and, and uh, share that with others, the, that does just makes me really happy. So um, yeah, something along this lines of maybe woke proof success stories <laughs> will be part two. Uh, Teresa, what's <laughs> the best place for people to go to, to keep up with what you're writing and what you're doing? Well, I write often for thespectator.com. That is my full-time employer. That's, uh, that's where I'm an assistant editor. So that's a good place to find me. I also freelance a little bit from time to time and, um, I collect my writings at a little kind of blog portfolio called the AmericanFrontPorch.com. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really do social media, um, for obvious reasons. Yes, nor do I. Um, yeah. I mean, I certainly see the positives and how it can be used for good, but I, I don't know. I just, I'm a, I'm more of a real life person. So, um, yeah. Uh, people, I cannot recommend enough that you pick up a copy of Woke Proof Your Life by Teresa Mull. It is an indispensable tool for surviving the woke madness. Teresa, thanks so much for coming on today at the Right Take Podcast. I'm looking forward to what you do next. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Listeners, thanks for joining us. Just another reminder to subscribe to The Right Takes so you don't miss any of the important conversations we're having here. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review. It really does help. Thank you, and see you next time. The Right Take with Mark Tapson is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine. Unauthorized reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.